listening to Pregnancy Uncut, a new podcast dedicated to telling the untold and unspoken stories of pregnancy complications. We are your hosts, Drs. Alex Umbers and Cara Thompson. Pregnancy Uncut acknowledges the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional owners of the land with which we record this. A special welcome to all our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, especially the mothers, daughters, sisters and aunties. Content warning, heads up guys, this podcast contains materials on pregnancy loss and complications and it may be confronting. Hi Alex. Hey, how are you going? Good. Alex, who are you interviewing this week? This week I've had an amazing chat with Hayley who has had three different births and she shares with us her story of her first birth, which she was really hoping to have at home and things changed and did not go to plan. Yeah, I I love this interview, Alex. I learned so much from it and I got so much out of hearing the story of someone who chose to have a home birth, why they chose it and how that evolved and then reflecting back on those choices some years later. I think working in the hospital system, there's such a misunderstanding about what home birth is, why people choose it and the safety around it. And Stemming from that misunderstanding, I think often comes quite a lot of judgment, um, certainly from some obstetricians in the system and um, even midwives who work in the hospital system and are not familiar with home birth. And I think that comes from a place of being comfortable with what you know and a lot of um, clinicians working in the hospital system are not familiar with home birth Um, and occasionally when we do come across it we come across the situations that haven't gone to plan and there has been a complication and so we can form quite a one-sided view about home birth but I think if we take a step back and we have a look at the research and the data that's out there we can certainly see that there absolutely can be a safe home birth program and home birth can be a safe choice, especially for low risk women. And we know with everything in obstetrics, and I think particularly with very emotional and important decisions as place of birth, that there really should be no place for care providers imparting their judgment. The other thing, Alex, that I really learned from listening to Hayley's story is the huge impact that we can have when women are transferred in following a home birth and needing to come into hospital for care. We're in such a powerful role for what can be a very vulnerable moment in people's um, lives. And if we inadvertently or otherwise show any signs of judgment um, for someone's choices, that can be so harmful to that uh, clinical relationship and harmful in establishing that trust and rapport and continuing on that sort of safe birthing experience that they should expect if they come from home to hospital. Yeah. And I think you've really touched on something that underlies all of this in the way we relate to families having their babies and our colleagues that work either in or outside the hospital is really a sense of trust, a trust that our choices would be respected and our opinions are respected. And if you don't have trust, you can't have these kinds of conversations to really explore what underlies people's choices. And, you know, while home birth is certainly not for everyone and home birth 
don't always go to plan, just like hospital births don't. I think we, the more we can open up the space and understand what underpins people's decisions, be it at home or in the hospital, you know, the, hopefully the safer we can make um, the birthing process, particularly when people have an unexpected transfer like Hayley and yeah. her little son had to do. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, what makes it safe is that collaboration and that that shared um, goal of having a safe outcome for mum and baby. And there's no reason why that should be different in hospital than it is at home. And we should aim to work together as care, care providers, whatever our place of care is, and acknowledging that there's no helpful place for judgment in these circumstances. Yeah, if anything, that judgment really divides people and creates mistrust with their carers and so I think we do really need to keep an open mind and focus on like you said providing safe and supportive care. Absolutely. The other really interesting thing that Hayley touched on was her choices following her quite complicated birth with her first son and sometimes I think we presume what a good second birth might look like to someone who has experienced complications. But I think talking to Hayley and and some of our previous guests, it really underscores how that next birth is so individual and a good and healing birth after a complicated experience can look so different to different people. It's so interesting you say that, Cara, because I was just chatting to a mum and dad the other day who had their third baby. And, you know, if you read the discharge summary, there's similar events played out as first and second, which were quite traumatic for them. But the third one, they were well informed, they were well supported. And even though the similar event played out, they had a really positive experience. So it's so true what what you say about a healing birth can be anything, you know, it can be a maternal assisted Caesar, nice and calm, or it can be a vaginal birth after cesarean. And I think as healthcare professionals, we we hold that space for people to make their informed decision and support them in whatever they choose. Yeah, absolutely agree. Let's jump into Hayley's story. Hayley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Alex. Now, Hayley, you're a a busy health practitioner yourself and mother of three children. You approached us a few months ago wanting to share your story of the birth of your firstborn, Fred, who's now seven years old, is he? Yep, nearly coming up eight years. Yeah. Oh, he's a big boy. (laughs) (laughs) Big little boy. (laughs) Now, what prompted you to reach out to us? Yeah, it's a really good question and I, um, I guess... Yeah, given that he's nearly eight, um, I think I'd always thought that I would share this story, but I I guess the timing didn't feel quite right. And I think over the years, I guess more pieces have been added to that story and more transitions. And I guess the time now feels really right to share that. Um, But I also think um, you and Cara are providing a really beautiful space for people to talk about these things has probably really prompted me to um, to touch base as well. So um, I think these stories are so important. And I think had I heard a story like my own prior to my birth, um, it would have been really good because I think a lot of the stories that I heard about where a baby was in fetal distress, most of those stories ended up with a baby that came out without any... Um, 
without any illness as well and everything was okay. So um, I think my story has some um, some power for some women to, um, yeah, just to listen to a story that might have a, a different outcome. Yeah, beautiful. Why don't we start with um, exploring when you imagined having a really positive birth experience for your firstborn, what what did you have in mind and, and what, how did your birthing journey start? Mm, yep. So I guess being a health practitioner myself and sort of seeing people regularly and having that, um, that relationship with a, a patient, I, um, I was in the hospital system for the first half of the, um, the pregnancy and then Ben and I explored hiring a private midwife um, so that we could perhaps have that relationship that wasn't really available to us at the hospital. Um, so we had some discussions with the midwife and we had some time to kind of um, explore whether we would use her as a doula in the hospital system or use her um, for a home birth. So we had our 22-week scan, everything was all good, um, and then all of our care after that was with her. And in the end, we talked about lots of factors, but um, the fact that I was you know, having a healthy pregnancy, we lived 500 metres from the hospital, we had a good relationship with the midwife. In the end, we did decide to, to start the labour at home. Um, and I guess that vision was that, you know, perhaps that would just be the three of us welcoming this baby into the world in an environment that we were familiar with. I didn't have any issues being transferred to the hospital if that was going to arise. I wasn't afraid of giving birth in the hospital or I wasn't afraid of the hospital system. I think for me it was who was with me that was the most important thing. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And did you have other friends that had birthed in hospitals or had home births? Were, were there people that were sort of influencing you based on their own experiences? Yeah, yep, definitely. So of the women I'd known that had attempted home birth, um, they had actually transferred. So I knew that that was a real possibility of that happening. The outcome was still okay for both of them. A lot of friends had birthed in the year and years prior to me and, you know, the hospital births weren't, weren't really, um, there wasn't too many great births coming out of the hospital either. So I think that sort of taught me that, you know, birth is pretty unpredictable and we need to, to be flexible in our approach to it as well. Yeah. And so you went into labour spontaneously and, and what was your setup at home like? Yeah, so I remember... Um, it was a Friday night and it was about six o'clock and then, yeah, my contractions sort of gradually um, increased over that night. Um, so, yeah, my labour just progressed, contractions just increased. We touched base with the midwife in the early hours of the Saturday morning and I think she may have arrived around the 3 to 4 a.m. mark. I was just labouring in the shower and our bath and then she examined me early in the Saturday morning um, and I was at that sort of seven centimetre mark. Um, after that, we did set up the birthing pool, thinking maybe things were not too far away from happening. And I do remember my contractions sort of starting to perhaps lengthen out a little bit. There was that sensation of perhaps like needing to push but not really needing to push as well, which, um, you know, having 
sort of experience that and also hearing other women's stories, I think that's pretty common with a posterior presentation as well. So the midwife, yeah, examined me again and the cervix was around seven or eight centimetres, but it was starting to show some signs of lipping. Um, And yeah, it was suggested that perhaps we look at transferring at that point in time. Um, so yeah, the decision was made to, to head to the hospital. So, um, yeah, we grabbed our things and we arrived probably a minute and a half later at the hospital. I was going to (laughs) say, did you walk 500 metres? (laughs) Probably thought about it, but it was a a pretty wild, windy day, wet day. Um, so yeah, we were around to the hospital, started our journey with the the hospital side of things. Yeah. Yeah. And... So it sounded like your labour slowed down probably because of Cheeky Fred's position at that stage. What was the approach at the hospital to assessing you and and considering, you know, what all the factors? Yeah, so I guess they confirmed that he was direct OP, that there was that lipping of the cervix. Um, they popped the monitors on me Um which they were having trouble getting some signal from. So there was kind of monitors on as well as the midwife who had come with us from home doing the Doppler monitoring as well, which was getting a read. And in the end, the portable CTG was what they went with. Um, But at this stage, I was obviously laying on my back and I hadn't been on my back at all up until that point. And with no pain relief on board either. Yeah, no pain relief. Not that I was particularly looking for it, but I definitely went from being comfortable to being a little bit uncomfortable and yeah I could like I could feel that Ben was a long way away from me and there was a lot of people around me sort of you know with machinery and and assessing his position um so in the end it was picked up that there were some decelerations happening after my contractions so the the decision was made for me to have a cesarean which in a way uh when I left home I knew some some way in my body that I needed to have a cesarean. Um, so when that got sort of um, thrown at me, I was like, yep, that's what I need and that's okay. And was being able to come in for the emergency cesarean? Yeah, so um, we were obviously separated as I was taken down to have the spinal block popped in and and then we were reunited in the theatre room as well. Any other woman that's had a cesarean, you know, it's a pretty full room. Everyone's busy doing their part towards the procedure and there's a lot of people in the room, as you say. Yeah, and I remember sort of being sidelined before they did the um, anaesthesia and they're like, you know, this will be the last contraction that you'll feel and um, we're nearly 24 hours into labour by now and I can remember thinking, oh, you know, this is going to be my, this will be the last pain that I feel but... Um, how little did I know what was about to sort of um, unfold. Yeah. So the decision for the emergency caesarean was because of the abnormal CTG and because you'd got as far as eight centimetres but not progressed. Were they particularly worried about Fred at that stage or was it more alert but not alarmed? I think based on the the length of the labour, that that was sort of a factor as well. And, yeah, so heading into that theatre... There was no um, underlying feeling that things were were not okay. Yeah, okay. And the cesarean was performed and you were no doubt expecting to hear your baby cry and Mm. see your baby. But what what did eventuate? I remember the, um, the blue surgical paper being really, really close to me and I remember it being really, really quiet and I remember thinking... 
has my baby come out? Or I had this sensation, this sense that my baby had been born, but there was no, no one telling me that. And I could see the anaesthetist's eyes sort of darting around the room and Ben was behind me, so I couldn't quite see him. Um, so I remember looking at her and saying, oh, is, is my baby okay? Or has my baby been born? And, and she didn't really look at me. She was looking across the room and she said, yeah, he's, he's been born and he's having trouble breathing. And we didn't know what gender we were having. So I was like, oh, I've had a boy. And like, I was quite, <laughs> quite happy. And she kind of still wasn't making eye contact with me. And uh, it was kind of, yeah, through her body language that I thought, okay, something's, something's not quite right here. But obviously I could feel the, the tension in the room as they were sort of trying to get him uh, breathing, yeah. yeah. From what you told me in a previous chat, he had a very short um, umbilical cord that was wrapped around his neck and because your waters hadn't broken yet, actually when they performed the caesarean, they found that there was thick meconium, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So he came out, yeah, with some difficulty breathing and didn't have many of the signs of life you would expect a newborn to have. I think his APGAR scores, the first one was only three and the the notes said that he was quite flaccid. Um, So, yeah, he needed immediate intubation, which I think perhaps failed, but they were able to get him breathing. Um, I've got no idea how long he was out before he started breathing. Um, but, yeah, eventually there was the sound, which was really great. And the paediatrician fortunately brought him over to me and that was a really beautiful moment for me to sort of see him. What What do you remember about meeting yeah. Fred for the first time? So I, I remember her coming over. She was on the same side as Ben. I don't know whether at that stage he'd already gone around perhaps to see him. Um, but she came onto that side of me and I just looked at him and said, oh, hello, little man, and just these big eyes just popped open at me. And, um, yeah, that was a really, really important moment. I just thought, oh, gosh, you're going to be okay? Like, you heard me, you looked exactly into my eyes. And um, I always think about that moment and I'm so grateful that she did that because after that she's like, okay, we're out of here, we're going to take him. And a, a brief but deep moment of connection between you two is, yeah. Yeah, despite really tricky situation. Mm. And so little Fred got wheeled off to the special care for support with his breathing. What happened over the next few days? So, yeah, he was put on the CPAP machine um, for um, quite a few hours after birth. I was um, in theatre and then in recovery for probably two and a half hours, I think. That was really hard. Um, Yeah, just sort of testing the ice on my body. It was quite a high block and so I wasn't allowed to leave there until uh, that had, obviously, that feeling had come back. But um, I guess I was asking the nurse to sort of check in and find out if Fred was okay. And um, I think I got some word back that he was, but it was still, it was a really hard time. I guess you don't expect to be laying in recovery by yourself when you've just had a baby. Um, So that was, yeah, that was not the moment that I sort of anticipated that to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Fortunately, the midwife that had been with us at home um, came down and got me at about... I think it was about half past eight at night by now. And she wheeled me straight up to him and into the special care. So I got to see him a little bit more than those beautiful eyes then. Um, So that was, again, a really nice moment for me to see him, not obviously being able to hold him just yet, but, yeah, obviously reunited with him. 
So Hayley, it's day one after this emergency's birth of your baby boy and he's in special care. And the hospital you are staying at has both a maternity and special care just adjacent to each other. What happened on the first night? Yeah, so I can remember I had a, a beautiful midwife helping me sort of get my colostrum out with a syringe so there wasn't a lot of sleep still being had. Um, but then in the middle of that night, perhaps, I don't know whether it was about two or three in the morning, I heard the buzzers go off. Not long after that, the paediatrician turned up at my door who had brought him over to me at the, at the birth and she said to me that Fred had just had some seizures, which they were quite concerned about. So I was wheeled back around to him in a wheelchair um, and sort of just sat there with him for a little while. Um, there was a nurse that was obviously with him this whole time and, yeah, she reported back to the peds that she'd witnessed some seizures. Um, that sort of was um, happening intermittently and then again as it, we travelled into the next day, they were still concerned that there was some evidence of seizures occurring um, as well as a low heart rate. So, um, yeah, those two sort of findings were, were things that they weren't really... Um, happy with and were kind of reporting back to us as a, a level of concern. Yeah, okay. And not that long after the decision was made to transfer little Fred out to a bigger specialist hospital, thinking that he might have something called hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy or HIE, what was going through your mind as they talked about transferring your little guy out? Yeah, it was hard. I sort of felt like we almost felt relief perhaps that maybe we would know what was going on with him because we, aside from the symptoms of seizure and heart rate, we hadn't really been given a, a term or a, a diagnosis or a, a, a kind of a, a plan with him or what was what was going to happen in the immediate future or even long term. So in a way there was that sense of relief. Okay, maybe we're going to find out a little bit more information um, but it was still really hard. Um, we'd sort of, um, we'd told people that we'd had him. Um, we, we did get to have one cuddle on that, on that Sunday and one little breastfeed, which again was a really beautiful moment. But, um, yeah, then we were sort of just getting ready to, um, yeah, to send him on his way. And unfortunately, yeah, we couldn't travel with him. Mm. And how did he travel from the hospital where he was born? They sent down the NETS team to collect him. Um, so there was a pilot, a paramedic and a woman who got our mobile number and um, said that we could call any time. And, you know, she was really beautiful. She said, like, how handsome he was. And, and that was really good. That was kind of a, a normal conversation that we hadn't really had with anyone from the medical team. So, um, yeah, as he was being wheeled away, I can remember thinking, you know, I know he's in good hands. And um, as hard as that was, it was really nice that those... Um, they connected with us and, and really supported us as, as he was flying, yeah. yeah. Hayley, you had a lot of specialised health professionals taking care of your little man, but it strikes me that the moments that have really stayed with you are those in which little things were said, little acts of kindness that really helped buoy you on your journey. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, just bringing that normality, I think, to a situation that's perhaps not as normal as what you would like. And you can never expect someone to tell you that everything's going to be okay because they didn't know that. But 
you can still kind of give someone hope and make a situation feel normal just by making a comment about how beautiful your baby is um, or how handsome he was. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for those those little moments that were sort of peppered through our experience. Yeah. yeah. So Fred was transferred to the NICU unit um, quite far up the road. And how did you and Ben travel there? Were you travelling by road? Yeah, so we discharged ourselves. I had to sign a, um, a waiver to discharge after the caesarean. So we collected my pain meds and we quickly ducked home, which was a really hard moment to kind of come into our little space and see that little bassinet and not have our baby with us. Um, and obviously no bags packed because we had perhaps not hoped to go to the hospital even. Um, so yeah, we quickly grabbed a bag of clothes. We didn't know how long we'd be going for. And um, yeah, we jumped in the car about 11pm on that Sunday night and yeah, the dead of winter kind of hit the road um, with my little syringes, um, doing some colostrum expressing all the way down the highway. So, well, yeah. for someone reading your history, they might read it as you know, fit, young, healthy, first-time mum, attempts home birth, doesn't go to plan, transfer to hospital, emergency cesarean, and then unexpected baby being really unwell. But they wouldn't really appreciate the ins and outs of your journey. Mm. Did you feel like you were understood and supported when you arrived as a mum with that history? Uh, When we first arrived, I could honestly say no. Um, As the week went on, definitely as we got to meet and um, interact with some other health professionals, um, definitely we did. Yeah, it wasn't the most friendliest of receptions that we received and we were told that we weren't going to be able to see him um, and to sort of go and sit and wait in the waiting room. So I guess I hadn't expected that, but as um, our time went on down there, it was it was clear that for some people there was a sense of like A plus B equals C and, and you know, who's to blame in this scenario that has occurred. And in response, Hayley, I'm interested, did you sort of internalise some of what you felt was judgment for decisions that you'd made? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I think the, you know, the naturalness at which your baby is separated from you when they're unwell just conflicts with this such a maternal instinct to be with them. So I can remember sort of having this thought of, oh, like, is he better off without me or is he safer not being nearby me at the moment? Um, and I think you know, the fact that I couldn't feed him or even hold him. At times I thought, like, if he's not going to be okay, this sucks because I'm not going to even get to meet him if he's if he's not okay. But if he is okay, why can't I be near him? And I think as, as the days went on and there was some judgment, I did feel that, um, yeah, perhaps I did play a role in, in, in what had happened. Um, but also like upon reflection, like I was still in a deep level of shock as well. And I, I don't think I quite had the capacity to really think about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a huge transition to make anyway, let alone all the layers of yeah, mm. the way in which Fred's arrival was very medicalized and he needed help. So the thinking was that Fred probably suffered from 
HIE and he had a number of investigations done to determine whether or not that was the case. Can you tell us what that process was like from a a parent's perspective? Yeah, so I think the HIE got mentioned to us on the Monday. Um, When they did let us see him in the the wee hours of that Monday morning, they were trying to get... um, a line into his umbilical sort of region at that point in time because they weren't able to get anything into his hands or feet. He was obviously um, quite dehydrated and they had also mentioned that they weren't happy with his size. So he was 2.8 kilos um, and he was post-dates. So um, they were wanting to get some antibiotics into him to rule out that perhaps there was some sepsis involved, perhaps a meningitis causing the seizures. So, yeah, he was placed on on the IV antibiotics and he was being tube-fed. And the plan was from then that when he was well enough to, he'd also have to have a lumbar puncture to rule out um, any kind of bacterial activity, I think, as well. Um, So, yeah, we we sort of felt... um, you know, reassured that there was a plan in place. Um, yeah, there was no real explanation of when it actually took place. Like they, they sort of said that there was evidence based on the the cord testing, I think, and the pH that there had been a hypoxic event in the days or hours previously, but they couldn't really tell us when. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't give you a roadmap of yeah. how 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 the baby perhaps came acidotic Mm. or hypoxic. Yeah, but at that stage they sort of said there'd been this multi-system involvement. So obviously there were were some neurological signs going on with his seizures, but his liver function tests and kidneys suggested that some other organs had been impacted by, by it as well. Yeah. So thankfully Fred's condition improved while he was in hospital and they... The decision was made not to cool him at some point, which is sometimes the treatment for HIE. When did you start to see a reflection of the happy, healthy baby boy that you had imagined? I think by the Tuesday they let me attempt to feed him. So we're still in the high-level care at the hospital here. Um, And, yeah, I could really feel that the the pedal was being lifted a little bit in terms of how much attention and and things he was receiving. So um, 48 hours of the antibiotics and then the lumbar puncture cleared him of any infection. Um, So that was really a big relief for us. And from there we got transferred down to a a less intensive care, um, special care area. Um, He then went on to have an MRI. Um, At that stage they'd sort of um, done their protocol to, to... Um, rule out any sepsis. They were still concerned with his heart rate being really low. That had been something that had been present um, since birth. So um, so in the end, they were happy to sort of, to just let that heart rate be okay, even though it was what they would consider a little bit low. So probably by the Thursday, they were talking about us going home on the Saturday. Um, they said we'd have to go back to um, our local hospital. He'd be transferred. But by the next day, they said we would be able to take him home ourselves. So um, again, we got downgraded to an even lower sort of special care area. Um, We got to bath him and yeah, there was just that sense of that weight being lifted off our shoulders. And yeah, I I still remember sort of striding those corridors. I probably wasn't striding. Ben remembers me being so, um, so shuffly with my walking, um, recovering from the Caesar. But I think I stood up a bit straighter the day we, um, we walked out with him. Yeah. A few inches taller. Hey, Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. So Fred came out of the acute phase of his period of being really unwell. 
without any obvious scars. But was there any concern about long-term damage and and how was he monitored? Yeah, so um, obviously there was the concern around the vision from the MRI and there was also, it was relayed to us that because of that antibiotic use in that really acute postpartum period, there's a chance that his hearing could also be impacted as well. So we were directed to have... Uh, an extra hearing test or a more intensive one done. Um, And we also had a follow-up with the paediatrician that was present at his birth. Um, All his information was transferred to her. So we caught up with her. We obviously had follow-up with a maternal child health nurse who still came to the home as though we'd, um, you know, even though things were shuffled back a week, we still received that care. So... Um, yeah, Fred had to tick a few boxes with his hearing, which he did, um, and all his follow-ups with the PED at one month, I think three months, and then maybe 12 months were all clear. Great, right. And when you tell Fred to put on his shoes and put his lunchbox in his bag, is there any problems with the hearing these days? <laughs> no, the, the hearing, there's, um, yeah, he's spot on, no trouble with speech or anything like that. So, um, yeah, we're so, so fortunate that he managed to, to come out unscathed. Oh, great. Now, you and your partner are each um, one of three children and you had a strong drive to go on to have two more kids. What impact do you think did the arrival and and care of Fred in his first few days impact on your journey into number two and three? Yeah, this is partly sort of why I wanted to share this story is that, you know, I think when you go back down that path of, of knowing you're going to have to face a birth again, um, you can't help but sort of come in to contact with some of those triggers that that perhaps you thought would be there, but they can really sort of, yeah, jump up and hit you in the face. So, I was, um, Fred was probably 15 months old when we um, fell pregnant with our second baby and we were actually due around the same time. So it was kind of the pregnancy was following the same course, I guess, as what Fred's had as well. Um, I was really well as I had been for my first pregnancy, but that first appointment up at the hospital where you're kind of, you know, giving you history, that it wasn't until I sort of had to talk about Fred's birth in a and medicalized setting that I realized, oh gosh, there's just so much rawness still here for me. And I think that first hospital meeting, um, it was suggested based on my emotional kind of, you know, not breakdown, but just expressing some emotion and some tears that perhaps that birth uh, already be an elective cesarean. So, I think I was about 13 weeks. I can remember going home and just being so upset and sort of saying to Ben, you know. Uh, I just got really sad and I think they don't think I can possibly, you know, have a vaginal birth. Um, So I can remember thinking, uh, yeah, I was quite lost as to what what I could do both to support myself but also sort of support this journey of a second pregnancy. Um, I wasn't afraid of having another cesarean but I was afraid of not being able to get up and chase after my baby should something go wrong that second time. So it wasn't about, you know, redeeming my body and having a vaginal birth. Like I deeply knew that I could do it and believe that I could do it and I was definitely up against it. There wasn't an encouragement to really attempt a VBAC, but uh, it was something that I pursued uh, even though maybe I had my own doubts as well. Yeah, okay. And were you able to have a successful VBAC? Yeah, I did. 
Uh, so Louis was born, uh, fortunately didn't go post-dates with him. So again, uh, a spontaneous labour and um, we just turned up at the hospital um, and the midwife who had helped me with my colostrum the first night I had Fred was our midwife that night. So that was really beautiful that we had her and um, coming into that last phase there was a little bit of clock watching that if this baby doesn't come soon we're going to have to intervene um there was a bit of a a shift change another midwife came in and yeah she was she was really great for me she sort of got down and and looked me in the eye and sort of gave me some instruction and uh before we knew it yeah we had a baby in our arms so it was a great surprise like yeah and I'll never forget that that sort of moment of of seeing yeah my second son be born Glorious. And tell me about a positive hospital birthing experience. Yeah, I think um, there is that perception that, you know, when you get to hospital, things can change. But, um, you know, we laboured at home for as long as we could. And I think if you can do that, you kind of arrive in a zone where perhaps you can't let those you know, things derail you. Like I was able to have, yeah, a, a completely unmedicated vaginal birth after a a cesarean and yeah where I did that didn't impact my ability um to do that I even got to have an active third stage as well which was amazing I did have a perineal tear and I do remember the registrar coming in and saying perhaps I would have to be whisked off to theatre just to have that sewn up and I'm probably not allowed to swear but I I did swear I said no that's not happening sorry <laughs> and yeah she fortunately went and got a second opinion and the second one came in and he's like no we can we can do that for you here so yeah there was no way I was having any element of separation yeah yeah it's such an important part of mm. your story isn't it yeah. now you were telling me earlier that Fred is a really sensitive empathetic young boy when he asks you about his birth and the ride in the helicopter what what does he ask you and what is that conversation like Probably when he was, you know, that three, maybe two to three when he was starting to talk, you know, as a little boy they'd often, as they do, they point to the helicopters and aeroplanes and, yeah, there was sort of this dialogue that we started around, you know, that's an aeroplane, that's a helicopter and then as he could understand, you know, you've been in one of those and uh, you've been in both of those and we also had... um, some picture books which were just gifted to us, the Playtown ones which have like all the city places like a hospital and a police station and um, there's a really big scene in one of them where they all unfold and the helicopter's landing on the roof and so as he got older we would you know talk about the fact that when he was born he was unwell and he had to go in an aeroplane and in a helicopter and as that conversation flowed his main question to us was you know who was with me in the helicopter and the aeroplane and we said well we weren't and like the shock on his face when we told him that was just like, what? Like, why weren't you with me? And, um, yeah, we just said we weren't we weren't allowed to go, mate. But there was, you know, there was a, a pilot, there was um, a beautiful woman, and I said then there was another gentleman as well. And he would say to me, oh, like, what were their names, mum? And I said, oh, mate, I can't, I can't remember their names. And what were they wearing? And I was like, oh, they were, they were wearing blue. Um, and we would have this conversation over and over again about, about those people that were with him during that flight, but the names um, were something that he was really needing information on and I probably wasn't able to give him that information, yeah. And then something uncanny happened many years later. You were flying yourself somewhere and you ran into someone that had a familiar face that you couldn't quite pick. 
Yeah, well, it was probably the other way around, actually. Stella, my daughter, at this stage was seven months and we were flying to Queensland and I just had her on the ground next to this other little girl and this couple and the gentleman of the couple sort of looked at me and said, oh, are you a nurse? And I said, no. And then he wandered off and got a coffee and he came back and the girls were still sitting there together and he's like, do you surf? And I said, no. And I kind of thought, oh, I don't really know where this is going, but Anyway, he obviously thinks he knows me, but I don't know him. And then their little girl just pushed Stella over and um, I said, oh, they were very apologetic. And I said, oh, that's okay. Like she's got two brothers. And then he just looked at me again, like, and he said, did one of those boys get transferred to the Royal Children's? And I was like, "Uh, yes. And he's like, that's how I know you. Like, I remember your face. And I was just like, oh my God this can't be happening, like this is right off the back of um, these conversations with Fred around what were these people's names. And, um, he's yeah, he said, I, I never forget the faces of the parents of the children that we transfer. So and, he was um, one of the paramedics that actually yeah, so, took Fred. Yeah, so he obviously, there was the two males, one was the pilot and one was the paramedic and, and this guy that I had this chance encounter with now was the paramedic. So I was like, what's your name? <laughs> and he said, my name's Nick. And I was like, okay, that's all I need to know. And, um, yeah, thank you. But he, I can remember saying to him, I wasn't one of those, you know, I got to take my boy home and, like, he obviously asked how he was and, you know, I said, he's, he's really great. And I sort of downplayed the fact that, you know, I shouldn't be feeling, uh, I shouldn't have been feeling as emotional as perhaps I was then. But he sort of said to me, no, like, you know, regardless of the outcome, like, it's so hard to have your child you know, transferred at birth. So so that was really validating. I didn't expect for me to get as much out of that encounter as perhaps Fred would have. And even when I rang Fred straight away, I'm like, oh, my God, mate, I found out this guy's name. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, his name's Nick. And um, But, yeah, I think that that piece of information, he's barely mentioned that story since. So he's kind of pocketed that and, and moved on. Yeah, what an incredible story to have come full circle like that. Yeah, to think that he he remembered my face was just um was just amazing yeah. Mm. Now Haley, coming back to you, you work as an osteopath specialising in treating women and children. How do you think this experience with your firstborn Fred has influenced your own career and practice? Oh, in so many ways. Um, I think a lot of osteopaths have an interest in pregnancy care and. I definitely did, but particularly that postpartum care is something that I think is really, um, we could do better in all elements of postpartum care for women. And um, I think having having been through that, that sort of event, I can now have an appreciation for how that feels for other women and, you know, what may seem a small trauma um, to them or from the outside, definitely the way the body presents after an event like that for another woman and for myself can be really similar. So now I sort of work with women and I often do treatments where the baby is present in the treatment and I'll do these dual treatments and somehow we can kind of help them ground a little bit and have their story complete a little bit when we pay attention to what's perhaps being stored in their body still. Um, So, um, you know, it's hands-on work that I I still do and it's all grounded in anatomy and, and biology, but I think I have a a greater appreciation for, you know, what kind of stored emotions and trauma can sort of play out with with our bodies as well and just the power of when we can perhaps shift something in our body, we can shift something in that story that we're holding to. 
Kara and I often reflect that it takes a village of health professionals to take care of our pregnant women or birthing people and in the postpartum journey. And it's not often that a medical doctor would sit down with an osteopath and explore what each other's roles are in that care journey. Can you take us through, Hayley, what an osteopath is and what role they can play in the care of pregnancy and birth? We studied at uni for five years and within that course, like we have a pretty strong training in our anatomy as well. So, you know, know, many years ago, there was probably a bit of lack of knowledge about what we do, not so much fear of what we did. And I think, you know, with the care plans now that GPs um, offer to, to patients that they can refer, say, five visits to an osteopath, the, the patients will be reporting back, you know, you know, that was really helpful for this condition. And I think that's been a really great collaboration between what would be considered medical and us being maybe just a subsystem of that as well. Um, a lot of the extra training I've done has been done with physios um, based in the States. And I think in Australia, the physios are probably more considered uh, alongside the medical framework a little bit. But I think that that gap is changing. And I think as people know a little bit more about what osteos do, they're not as um, afraid of us now that there's a little bit more knowledge base. But really at the start, I think the term osteopath probably conjures up bones for some people, but there's just so much more to it than that. Looking back, Hayley, you've been through so much. You're now mum of three and a health practitioner yourself, as we mentioned. What would you say to Hayley that was pregnant for the first time coming into that birth? What advice would you give her now that you're you know, a well-seasoned mum? Mm. Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I remember finding a little note years later that I'd journaled on either the day I went into labour with Fred or in the the week leading up and it said on it, expect the unexpected. So I think think that kind of reiterates just that ability to maybe, you know, there's intuition that's always there for us and sometimes I, I can remember maybe not not tapping into that or believing it or doubting it but I think if anything motherhood and birth has taught me like how powerful that can be yeah and I think when we birth we birth so much more than our babies like if someone had have said to me like after that first birth you know you'll be broken into a thousand pieces I would have thought oh my gosh like you know how would I ever rebuild but in a way I feel like you know, the person that I am now, I would never have been had I not experienced that that first birth. And perhaps those pieces got put back into a way that made me more whole than what I was beforehand. And, you know, I feel like I'm doing my mothering and my work in a way that I'm really proud of. And I feel like, you know, I'm kind of living maybe the life that I was meant to live. Um, so that feels really, really kind of nice to reflect back on that. It's really nice to kind of be in this place now to to happily share that from something really tough, um, good things can come. Yeah, wow, that was yeah so beautiful the way you described that. And it's so true, isn't it, that when you're pregnant, you're not only growing a baby, but you're growing a mother or a parent. And it's, like you say, so much more than just having a baby. Mm. So we're so grateful you could share your story with us, Hayley. And, yeah, we'll see you around. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you. That's it for today. If you got something out of this episode, please remember to subscribe, rate and review our podcast. 
Also, we love hearing from you. If you have feedback or suggestions, email us at pregnancy.uncut at gmail.com or you can find us at pregnancyuncut.com or on Instagram. If you or someone you know wants to share their story with us, we'd love to hear from you. Talk soon. Bye.